0: Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on ZibbyBooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at ZibbyMag.com. We have classes at ZibbyClasses.com. And I recently opened a book. Store in LA called Zibi's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings, but this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Lisa Naver is the author of Bravish. One Breakup, Six Continents, and Feeling Fearless After 50. Lisa is an award-winning travel expert who explored 102 countries on six continents. This University of Pennsylvania graduate sailed across the seas for seven years with Princess Cruises, Royal Caribbean, and Renaissance Cruises, and spent three years backpacking across Asia. You can discover her articles and publications from AARP The Magazine and AAA Explorer to Wired and Wharton Magazine, as well as her site, We Said Go Travel. On her award-nominated global podcast, Make Your Own Map, she has interviewed Deepak Chopra, Olympic medalists, and numerous best-selling authors, including me, by the way. Not that I'm a best-selling author, but I'm an author. And as a journalist has been invited to both the Oscars and the United Nations for her print and digital stories, as well as her television segments, she has been awarded three Southern California Journalism Awards and two National Arts and Entertainment Journalism Awards and has been a finalist 20 times. Named a number three travel influencer for 2023, she talks travel on broadcast television at KTLA-TV Los Angeles, her YouTube channel with over 2 million views, and in her memoir. Carrie Maher is the author of All You Have to Do Is Call. Carrie is the USA Today bestselling author of The Paris Bookseller, The Girl in White Gloves, The Kennedy Debutante, and under the name Carrie Majors, This Is Not a Writing Manual, Notes for the Young Writer in the Real World. She holds an MFA from Columbia University and lives with her daughter and Tog in a leafy suburb west of Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Brave-ish, One Breakup, Six Continents, and Feeling Fearless After 50. Yay, congratulations.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, Zibi. It is such an honor
0: to be here with you. Thank you. Oh, well, you too. Thank you for sharing and really pouring your heart out on the page here. It was so interesting, moving. I love books that make me feel, and I really felt like I was in your shoes in so much of this from the travel to the pain of the relationship to trying to figure out who you were and all of it. It's all just so relatable and honest and, and makes for a good read to boot. So there you go. <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm really, I'm so touched and I really appreciate it. And you know, when I was writing the book and I was working on the book, you get to the point, you know, this, you've written a memoir, you get to the point and you're like, is, is anybody going to relate to this? Is, is this helpful? Am I just pouring this out on the page and people are going to think I'm such a
0: stupid person, you know? No, 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 no. And you, you know, you also really paint a picture of What happens in in an abusive relationship, which can start as verbal abuse, can get physical, but is so insidious and and the harm that it does over time. You had this one passage. Can I read this? Well, wait, wait, let me back up. Why don't you tell listeners what your book is about? Then I want to like talk to you about this passage and, and all the rest.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so for um, the thumbnail I say about my book is that I did 50 challenges before I turned 50 after my divorce to reinvent myself. You know, I had been a lifelong traveler and I was fortunate to work on the cruise ships and sail around the world. And I've been a teacher, a traveler, and, and fortunate also to work as a journalist. So I, uh, during COVID, I, I wrote about the demise of my relationship and feeling like I lived in crazy town and trying to figure out how to make a life. You talked about
0: getting from, what did you say, Crazy Town to Sucksville or like, you know, it was really funny though way you wrote about that. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, you start the book with a very dramatic scene where you're in Thailand and your husband pushes you on the street so much that you fall and then he storms away and you're left crying in a hotel and calling your friends Thailand or Thailand, right? You were in Thailand, yeah. And what do you, oh, right, because your friends in China wanted you to come there and just trying to make heads or tails of what to do, both the immediacy of being in a foreign country And having a major crisis, relationship issue, and then the aftermath of that, once you're back home, you then tell the reader a little more about your relationship. And this is the part that really, you know, struck me so much was how you described your relationship with your husband, Fred, or your ex-husband or whatever. If I could just read this one little section. He said, "Uh, this was not the first time Fred had been physical with me. Over the course of our relationship, particularly in the years since we had gotten married, Fred was frequently upset about my behavior, my appearance, even my being noisy. He complained about the lunches I packed him and that I ate my apples too loudly. I had someone have an issue with that as well, by the way, and held my sandwich with too many fingers. He hated when I talked on the phone to friends inside our house. So I'd taken to calling everyone I knew on my walk home from work. Earlier on our trip, he had stopped walking with me on beaches because my footsteps in the sand were too loud and would distract him. It upset him that I read too quickly on my Kindle and said that even when I switched pages noiselessly on the electronic device, it disturbed him. On a 24-hour bus trip through India, he complained that I went to the bathroom too often. You could only go to the bathroom when the bus stopped, and sometimes it only stopped every six hours. Fred would not go every time we stopped, but I would. More and more, he used physical tactics to express his frustration. Sometimes he pinched me when he got aggravated, which really hurt and left a bruise. The trip was not making things better. In fact, the longer we were away and the farther we traveled, the angrier he got. Oh my goodness. First of all, I'm so sorry that you were in that situation to begin with. And I'm I'm happy you were able to extricate yourself thank from it. you. but how did you feel going back and writing about this and sort of re-examining the progression of the negative things? Like, cause you go back and you kind of analyze the whole thing. Just tell me about it and how you feel about it now and what it was like writing about it and where you are.
1: Well, thank you. Yes. It, it was deeply disturbing to write about it in some ways more than to live it because mm-hmm it didn't quite add up for me as I was living it. And that was, you know, a strand in the book about trying to figure out my issues with pattern recognition and working on my eyes. Yes. So in some ways writing, it was more traumatic and I used to write until I was pretty sure I was going to throw up and then I would lie on the floor and it was really hard. I I quit a lot of times. Um, I wasn't sure that it was worth it. And I made the decision in the process of writing it that it was very cathartic for me. And so every time I quit, I did start again. And I did have a lot of therapy. That was helpful. I had um, a small group of people that knew what was going on and were checking in with me. And, you know, I had one friend that I called and she said, listen, I will argue whichever side you want. I've known you. We actually had our 40-year reunion of our, our 150 of us went to Israel for the summer in 1983 for nine weeks. So we just had a reunion. So it was one of those people. And she said to me, I'll argue whatever side do you want. You want me to argue you should quit this project? Do you want me to argue you should finish the book? Do you want to just go out for the day? You know, I, you need a lot of support in in all stages of your life. So I was very fortunate to have that. And it was a hard process. I, I'm very happy to be on this side of it, and I hope that anyone that's in a difficult situation, if it's a, a angry boss or a partner that's not appropriate, that people find the way to to tell someone and get the help that they need.
0: Wow. Do you feel like, like, if you could go back, knowing now, like, when when would you have done something different? If you would have, like, would you <laughs> like? Because it's hard being in it, and we see you sort of. <laughs> tracing the path. And sometimes, you know, it's like what they say about like a frog in boiling water, you know, is there a moment looking back where you wish anything had changed or no? or You know, (laughs) I actually
1: think a lot about the frog in boiling water. It's very hard. It's very appealing to think about what changes would you have made differently? I think a lot about that movie sliding doors. Me too. I love that movie. Oh my gosh. I think a lot about that, like, what if I had never written him in the online dating world? Or what Mm -hmm. if after the time at the dance class, when he threw himself out of his own house? I was like, that's it. And... I spent a lot of time in therapy wishing that I had a magic wand and wishing, you know, what if I never met him? And Mm -hmm. what if this? And there were a lot of what ifs. And one of the things that helped me the most was really thinking a lot and learning about forgiveness and that forgiveness doesn't mean that the behavior was acceptable. Mm -hmm. And there's a great book called Super Survivors. And in Super Survivors, they talk about the that We talk a lot in the United States about post-traumatic stress disorder, but this book was the first time I heard about post-traumatic growth. Mm. And one of the things they say in the book is, I'm in Los Angeles and we talk a lot about driving here. So one of the things they say in the book is that it is very challenging, if not impossible, to drive your car only looking in the rear view mirror. Very true. And so I I read a lot in that book about forgiveness and what does it mean to focus on forgiving yourself. I wasted a lot of time in therapy complaining that I didn't have a magic wand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'd like to be a superhero. I have Wonder Woman car seats. And, you know, I'd like to imagine I could have done it differently. So the best thing for me was to keep moving forward. But I, I spent a lot of time processing it and I I learned what I could from it. And I hope that in the future, in similar situations, I'd make other choices. I feel fairly confident I would. but. Yeah, I I wish I don't have a great answer to what I would one thing I would change.
0: <laughs> no, it's a hard question because you know it's our life, and I don't I you know I don't think you should be living in the rearview mirror either. And I'm sorry to dredge this all back up. I just I guess no, I appreciate your careful read. Just got so interested in the in all of it. I mean, it's just always hard to know when to do what when you're in the middle of it. And anyway, I just found it very, very powerful. And as you recovered and went back to Bel Air and your parents' house and sort of regrouped and what do you want to do? And, you know, I was kind of wondering, I was like being armchair psychologist. I was like, I wonder if there was, he had, maybe there was something undiagnosed about him, you know, that maybe, I don't know, but anyway, it doesn't matter. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it, it, it does come up, as you know, you interview a lot of people. I I found for myself and the people I spoke to that getting divorced, you know, a lot of women and men too feel like a failure. You know, we have this idea, everything's going to work out, even though the numbers don't speak that all marriages work out. And so for me, it was a lot about thinking about what, what was a success for me and what was a failure for me. And one of my friends said to me, it was not a failure to get divorced. It would have been a failure to stay in that relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, also you weave in, of course, your love of travel, which is sort of the heart of this whole book is how much you love travel. And after reading, I went and watched your video about, you know, we said go travel and how traveling is not just about looking at a new place. It's finding a new piece of yourself when you get there, which I found so profound because sometimes it does take that change of environment to give you a new view of yourself and life in general. You've had this sort of wanderlust forever and the cruise ship when the love boat thing was hilarious as well. Tell me a little more about travel and how you grew your business and the twists and turns it's taken and and everything that happened since. (laughs) Well,
1: I've been, I've been so fortunate to have an incredible community working on the cruise ship was amazing. I describe working on the cruise ship that it's like you live in a college dorm, but no one has any homework. (laughs) So every morning you wake up, you're in a new country. And, you know, there are people always people to do something with. I got to go scuba diving all around the world. And then with the blog revolution, I started We Said Go Travel. And I also started the YouTube. I'm very close now to 2 million views on YouTube. Thank you. Thank you. And it's so, you know, it's funny as, as different things have come in, you know, I had We Said Go Travel since 2010. So at some point, they started Twitter, which has always the evolved to X. And Facebook has evolved into you know Instagram and threads. There's been so many changes. But for TikTok, I interviewed my friend's daughter. And I was like, I don't really know what to do. And she said, oh, Lisa, let the robots edit for you. They're much smarter than you are. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So I've been trying out different social medias. but I've had some great trips recently. I was in Puerto Rico on World Environment Day. And I got to interview Dr. Richard Murphy on my podcast. He's been with the Cousteau Society for 50 years. And I was fortunate to interview you on my podcast. Thank you so kindly. And it's been amazing. I I spent a couple of weeks in Ireland. And then when I was back, I got to interview the ambassador of Ireland. So the travels and the website and the videos and the podcast have all supported each other. And in fact, next week, I'm coming to New York to be at the Clinton conference, and I'm, I'm so honored to be able to write about them for Ms. Magazine and the Jewish Journal. Like, it's been amazing. All these threads in the beginning didn't seem like they would ever weave together. It seemed like people were like, why are you doing social media and the videos and this and this and this? But now, at this point, everyone's like, oh, that was a good idea.
0: <laughs> yes, it will all make sense later. Good motto to have. <laughs> That was another thing that I thought was great and so helpful to so many people who are trying to figure out what to do with their lives and which direction, and is it okay to make a U-turn? Uh, your whole thing with med school and being in med school and dropping out, at, or you know, not drop, I shouldn't call it dropping out, but sh- switching gears and pursuing what you loved after you know, getting into the best med school and all that preparation and you know doing that and then getting going into education and just really following your heart with where it took you literally physically and, and having, you know, that's one of those brave moments and brave-ish, right? Leaving the path that is set out before you and, and going off course. What do you think it takes to listen to your those voices in you and make those hard decisions? I think it takes... It's a really good question. And I like how you called it
1: switching gears because sometimes I felt like a derailed train, but switching (laughs) gears seems much more positive. But I do encourage people to listen to the little voice in your head. I know sometimes people think you're crazy or paranoid. and, And definitely when you when you take a leave of absence to work at Planned Parenthood in preschool from medical school, people do think you're pretty nuts. But it was the right choice for me to reinvestigate. And it was hard because people really thought it was a bad idea mm-hmm. the, th- the school, the head of school and the school therapist didn't think it was a bad idea. So I had some support. I guess the comment I would make about switching gears is if people don't support you, but you really think it's the right choice, you might need a bigger circle. Mm-hmm. that there, there are people that will support you and, and you might bring on your own circle. I mean, I think about when Ruth Bader Ginsburg says, how many women will be enough on the Supreme Court? And she said nine, but you know, th- when there was the first one, the first person who was Jewish or the first person who was a woman, it, it is hard in the beginning to shift gears. And I guess the point is you don't know. You mm-hmm. have to be willing to take the leap. What's the quote about, you know, take the leap and build your wings on the way down. And Sometimes people won't think you're making the right choice, but you have to know. I went on a lot of walks and I talked to a lot of people and I just kept coming back around to the same thing. And I was really willing to be wrong. You know, I didn't drop out at first. I went on leave and I was like, is this the right choice? And when I left Ships after September 11th and my company went bankrupt, I did try to stay a little bit longer and it just wasn't right. So I think mm-hmm. the most important thing is to check in with yourself. Is this, does this feel right for me? hmm
0: So tell me more about the writing of the, even the second half of the whole thing and all of the adventures like go tell listeners more about all of that and what life is like now and and all give us some tidbits and all of that. So the book is of 50 things that I did and
1: growing up I had a lot of accidents and I thought that I was clumsy and it turns out that wasn't too accurate. I was not properly diagnosed and my eye doctor, Dr. Alan Brodney really helped encourage me to try new things. And I know you're very good at tennis,
0: but so. that was one of
1: the things that he recommended. And you could imagine without a lot of hand-eye coordination that trying to learn tennis as an adult was, shall we say, frustrating. <laughs> and, but that led me to try a lot of other things. And I sort—I took a lot of things back that you know I never thought I could be a bike rider. And one of my challenges was I I did have two instructors, so I don't recommend trying new things on your own, like make sure you take the steps and wear the pads and get instruction. But I did go mountain biking at Lake Tahoe and North Star and it was amazing. In fact, there was crying. A lot of my challenges did have crying. But (laughs) one thing that that I realized I was on this incredible trip in Italy and we went on a gondola ride, as you do in Venice, and we the Best time. And we got off the ride and someone else, someone was crying. And so we went and we took her out for drinks and we talked about what was going on. And she was separated, trying to decide if she was going to get divorced. And we had a lovely chat. And she has a completely different life now. But when I went back to my room, I was like, wait a second. Someone was crying and it wasn't me. Mm. I'm doing better. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, you got to take the winds where they are, but I've had incredible experiences. I got to scuba dive with sharks in Mexico, bull sharks. I got to go to Cuba for the first time. I went to this, I've been a lot of places because I worked on the cruise ship. So part of my 50 before 50, I was working to get to my hundredth country. And because I spent so much time at sea, I had to figure out which were the countries I was missing. So I had done a search for landlocked countries. So I went to San Marino in Italy. That was
0: one of my places. It's <laughs> amazing. Well, it, and you're not just doing things like scuba diving. Like you couldn't even swim before. You didn't take swim lessons till you were a grown up. And the I, the misdiagnosis where several doctors said, okay, you're just not going to be 2020. And then it turns out that you essentially had like a lazy eye and could remediate that with EMDR, right? Is that that's basically what happened. That's like a life shift, a huge life shift. What huge? Huge yeah.
1: life shift. You know, when I was teaching, you, I would often have a student that would get an IEP or diagnosed and they were dyslexic and they would come to me and say, you know, I always thought I was stupid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But in adults that di- get diagnosed. So one of the things that happens with eye disorders in children is it's not like as an adult, if all of a sudden you had double vision, you go to the doctor and say, I used to see this way and now I don't. And I've done a lot of reading about this and high achieving girls tend not to complain. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing well in school I had a lot of accommodations that happened on their own I sat in the front a lot of the things the doctor would have given me I did on my own to tr- you know try to f- make it and that was honestly one of the things that medical school was the first place I couldn't out accommodate on my own
0: mm.
1: I I had issues with gross anatomy and histology and I, I I pretty much ran up against the the edge of my intelligence and my ability to accommodate my issues Without help. But it really helped me. I remember Dr. Brodney telling me, for sure, if you do vision therapy with me, you know, you're going to have to do a lot of work on your own every day. But I promise you, you'll be better at sports, which I am. But we didn't know, I didn't know that it would lead to so much understanding of where I was misaligned in relationship. Mm-hmm. So
0: interesting. You also write about and you know, show us online and all of that, your experience with your own body and eating and weight and weight loss and all of that. Tell us about the 50 pound weight loss. Tell (laughs) us about how you feel about things now and just where, I don't know what that whole journey has also taught you.
1: Yes. Well, growing up in California and Los Angeles, definitely issues of weight have always been at the forefront. And, you know, when I went to college, I gained a freshman 15. And at one point I had gained quite a lot of weight. As you mentioned, I you and I share a love of Haagen-Dazs ice cream. <laughs> yeah. I was Double eating. Tip.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, good.
1: so good. We love Haagen-Dazs, just moderation people. <laughs> and it's been interesting to... Figure out, you know, how to feel comfortable in my body. And one of the funniest things is I travel with a hula hoop. And they uh, Bloomberg did an interview with me, and it's in the title about how I travel with a hula hoop. So you could read a little bit more about my adventures. But I, I of course, being in Los Angeles, there's a class for everything here, and that's how I got started. I took hula hooping for adults, (laughs) and I travel with my hula hoop. I've been I hula hooped with the Maasai warriors in Kenya. I hula hooped in jail in the Philippines. So there's videos of all that. My funniest recent adventure, I love Loretto in Baja, Mexico. And I was with a bunch of scuba divers and I said, you know, maybe you could help me. And I hula hooped while flying a kite.
0: I mean, talk about coordination. I mean, seriously, that's crazy. (laughs) It's a funny video. It's hard to do both of those, let alone at the same time. Crazy. My gosh. Okay. So the book itself, tell me about that. Tell me about the publishing process. How, like what's what that's looked like, how you feel with it coming out, all of that. So my book, Bravish:
1: One Breakup, Six Continents and Feeling Fearless After 50, is published by Post Hill Press and it's distribution with Simon and Schuster. And during COVID, I was working on this book and I was able to Query agents, and I signed with Chip McGregor, and he's been an incredible champion for my book. And he was the one that found Debbie at Post Hill Press. And literally, from the very first moment that we spoke, I could tell that she was such a champion. She loved my book. She's always been an incredible supporter, even when my book came in really long and there was a lot of edits, <laughs> as, as you understand from being a publisher yourself and an author, but they've been an amazing team. Chip and Debbie have really helped me navigate all of the issues of publication, promotion, and I'm just so excited that people actually get to read the book.
0: Uh. Congratulations. Was there anything unexpected that happened along the way or, you know, something great that came out or hard or challenging in new ways or anything with the journey of the publishing process? I think the hardest thing about writing a
1: book as a journalist mm-hmm. is I'm not used to writing something at this length mm-hmm. yep. and, and wondering, like, does this hold together and then I guess the other thing that was really challenging for me through the different rounds of edits, you know, there were times I didn't really want to read the tough parts of my story again. Mm. I was like, friends, this is not fun for me. Yeah. And so it was a challenge to figure out, you know, could you lose this piece? Did it still tie together? I remember reading one version and thinking, well, this story doesn't make sense anymore because we didn't say this other part like this is funny because mm-hmm. and so trying to figure out which things tie together and you know how many threads can you have you know like i love being jewish and i love my temple and i my eyes were terrible and i couldn't swim like I could you these pieces it, they're all parts of me but it's like how much can go in one book
0: mm-hmm. to your point on the temple I was really struck when you were in that moment trying to decide what to do with your life and your marriage, and you reached out to the rabbi, and you had said the, till death do you part, and he pointed out that you don't say, till death do you part, and also, you know, you wouldn't push a stranger on the street, right? Mm-hmm. Why would? Why is it okay for a married, a spouse to do that to another spouse? When you, Anyway, I just thought that was so- No, he, my,
1: I, I'm actually speaking at the temple, and I've been working on what I'm going to say. And, and I've been very fortunate to have a close relationship with a lot of the clergy at my temple. And they've really made a difference for me. And I know earlier we were saying, you know, if you're not sure what you want to do with your relationship or your life or your college student, you're like, I don't know what my major is. I, I very much for me, faith has been a huge part of being able to make good choices and having someone who can be a sounding board that feels like family, but isn't family. And For me, my college group, everybody went to services, but Mm -hmm. we all went to a different place on campus. We didn't all have the same religion, but we shared that belief that, you know, we we should try to be better people and we should be kind to other people. And I think that's a very, very much a commonality for me. But the temple, I do believe is one of the things that helped save my life, that I, that I wanted to go back and that I had people that were there for me. That's wonderful.
0: What's something now that you're trying to drum up some braveness or bravery rather to do? What what scares you a little bit and you're working on getting there?
1: That's such a good question. I'm working really hard on saying yes to things and new challenges. I know for myself during COVID being home and 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 not being as social that you like, have to kind of convince yourself to do stuff again that I used to go to a lot of networking events in LA because we had them. Mm-hmm. And then we're starting to have them again. And the other night, I really didn't want to go. <laughs> and I still yeah. went. And I was like, if I go and I talk to one person, I could leave. And then I got there and I talked to one person. I was like, oh yeah, I'd love this. This is so much fun. And I ended up speaking with someone that has a web, uh, a company where they make websites and, People have been approaching me, you know, how can I be author? What can I do to have a book? And one of the things I recommend people is have a website. So he Mm -hmm. and I are going to do, we're going to do a workshop together and talk about how do you get started and how do you get publicity and how do you build your brand? So I think you, you probably remember the musical Avenue Q, the puppets. So I love when they have that whole scene where like the world is happening outside your house. Mm -hmm. Yes. You have to leave your house. Yes. So Leave your house, do something. That's where I'm still working on always.
0: I I, you could have taken that out of my I really have a hard time leaving the house sometimes. (laughs) And I'm like, just you know, I have a rule, like always go to parties in the rain, because then I feel like I never want to go to parties, especially if it's raining. And I'm like, those are always the best events. So My even my kids know they're like, okay, it's raining. You have this thing to do. You gotta go. Like, you gotta go. Always go to parties at the rain. Oh my gosh.
1: You need that as a t shirt. You need to sell that at Zibby's bookshop.
0: Okay. Yeah, maybe I'll make it a t shirt. Yeah. I know. Also never turn down a glass of champagne. Those are my two (laughs) things I live by. (laughs) I I love this. I love
1: this. I have (laughs) oh, you have a saying? What are your what are yours? I say celebrate early and often. Mm, That's a good one too. Yep. It's never too early to celebrate your birthday. Yeah, never too much.
0: Advice to aspiring authors. What do you have? My advice to aspiring
1: authors is never give up. Oh, my new saying actually is rest, not quit. Because mm-hmm. during the process for I myself, like I kept quitting. And then I read this phrase that said, rest, not quit. Mm-hmm. And the other really important one is how do you know? Maybe you know the answer. How do you eat an elephant? Yeah, one bite at a time. So any gigantic project starts. Why are we eating elephants? Okay, we're not supposed to eat elephants. It's a kid's joke. It's not that funny. (laughs) Okay forget about the elephant, do not eat elephants. Zibi and I are not promoting elephant eating. No, no, no. But it's about the big project. So when I used to teach school, one of the projects we did was science fair and kids get overwhelmed by science fair, just like adults get overwhelmed by the idea they're gonna write an entire book. Mm -hmm. but you break things down. And one of the ways that I've been able to do this book project is I basically give myself little assignments like for science fair, for science fair, first you pick the topic and then you do some research and then you follow the instructions from the teacher. This is due this week. This is due next week. And so for aspiring writers, I tell people the way to write is read a lot and Mm -hmm. just get started. So I tell people, think of when is your birthday? My birthday is on the 18th. So every month, on the 18th, publish one story. It could be a long Facebook post. That. You could have your own website, but at the end of the year, you'll have 12. Mm-hmm. And maybe you'll like writing, and maybe you won't. But people say to me, oh, "I'm going to buy hosting and a website and a logo." I'm like, "Do not do that. Start small and start for free. You know, go on Weebly or Wix or Real Nice. Make your own website for free." Or do Instagram with really long captions and see how do you like writing once a week or once a month. But the people that tell me they're going to do something every day, I'm like, listen, no one's that interesting.
0: Mm -hmm. Start small. I love that. That's great advice. I like tying it to your birthday because, of course, you remember that day each month. That's great. Lisa, thank you. Thank you for coming on Mom's No Time to Read Books. Congratulations on Brave It. I wish you all the best. And thanks for really being so brave as to share your soul with the rest of us. Thank you so much. I'm so
1: excited to have an event at Zibby's Bookshop in Santa Monica. Yay. (laughs) And thank you for having me on your show. I I just think that what you've done for the publishing industry and the way that you support authors and women and memoir and books and your retreats and classes and magazine, it's
0: incredible what you've done. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.